This is Gridiron Show, week two in the books. It's now kind of 4.30 on Monday afternoon, and I still haven't really managed to fully process everything that happened yesterday. Uh, my mind is a bit all over the shop, and I still... The most tired I think I've ever felt after a week of football, and it's only the second week of the season. But what an astonishing week two it was. Three genuinely historical comebacks in the early and mid-games. Uh, the Packers finally bouncing back in the late game. Some of the worst coaching we've maybe ever seen in the NFL and we'll discuss whether it's at its nadir right now. And I'm delighted to say that alongside myself, Will Gavin, I am joined by Simon Clancy, bouncing off the back of that uh, of that Dolphins victory, I'm sure. 35 to 14 down, Simon, with barely a moment left on the clock. How on earth did you do that? To be honest, mate, I haven't got a clue. Um, i tell you what did happen, though, at half-time was some pretty astonishingly good coaching adjustments made both offensively and defensively because the Dolphins were all over the place at half-time, certainly in the first half defensively. They had no answer for Lamar and, you know, the cover zero blitzes just weren't working. They weren't getting home at all. There was no pressure whatsoever. Offensively, again, a bit of inconsistency. Two interceptions. One when Tyreek sort of slipped coming out of his break, all was slightly thrown late. Second was sort of a an arm punt, really, that was picked off, but was thrown into double coverage. Wasn't a great throw. A couple of other really good throws in the first half. You're like, oh, this is, this is you know, what we've seen at two, up and down, up and down. Second half, they were just, I think Mike McDaniel just went back to everything that he knew suited the offense so perfectly. You know, the quick throws, the sort of the looking, knowing that you're going to throw to the inside guy, but looking to the outside guy, freezing the inside guy, throwing inside. Little, you know, some some excellent runs. I just thought it was just a master plan and it was carried out to absolute perfection in the second half by, essentially by three players. But I thought the offensive line were outstanding. Toron Armstead has just been everything and more. But just generally, the much blind offensive line was great and defensively they held up on their end. Um, a couple of critical stops, including the fourth down play, and you know, two was absolute money. I mean, six touchdowns through the air was, you know, and and really, what was what was so fascinating as a Dolphins fan is that at thirty five uh, twenty eight, Xavier Howard had essentially a pick six in his hands and dropped it. You know, one of the most sure handed uh, cornerbacks in over the past ten years in terms of his interception. When he gets his hands on the ball, it's it's over. And actually, you know, in a way. <laughs> In a kind of acute way, actually, the narrative perhaps of two would have been slightly different. The fact that with two fourteen left, he got the ball back in his hands to drive down and, and win the game, score his sixth touch, uh, touchdown. You did, you did, uh, you did message the Gridiron Group last night saying narrative changing drive here from Tua. He's had Absolutely. the second half of dreams, and then when he did hit that sixth strike, four hundred and sixty nine yards, thirty six of fifty. Uh, overall, uh, the expletives that were then used in capital letters, I think, really communicate. And then you kind of you disappeared for about two hours. And I genuinely was worried that you were just running the streets of the Northwest naked in glee. Naked. Exactly. That's exactly what we're covered in butter. That's exactly what I was doing. Trying, that's the streets how you, that's really how you keep the warmth in the body, right? The funeral, that's what I was doing. So what was really interesting as well was that Peter King spoke to Mike McDaniel last night after the game and that was some really lovely insight we always get with Peter. But he said that essentially the, the team had drawn up what they referred to as a kit play, um, <laughs> which was the... My favourite time. Uh, and this is a, this he already is a had a four where and what was it, seven last week from midfield. Surely that's a Well, he said, so we had a play ready in case things weren't going right or in case there were various frustrations. Uh, we installed the play without the expletives uh, that Tua knew as the kit play. He loved it. And if we really need to make something happen, that was the play we called. And they called the play, which was the deep ball to um to, to Tyreek, the first touchdown. 
Um, and McDaniel says, look, third and ten, we just decided to go for it. F*** it, what do we have to lose? Three receivers left, Hill alone on the right. Tua dropped it in perfect. So actually, in practice, we didn't really execute very well. But Tua didn't blink, put it right on the money, and the f- play worked. We got the Dolphins back in the game. Look, if you want to get involved in the show, you can do so. If you're watching us on uh, Twitter right now or via StreamYard, you can leave comments in the StreamYard feed uh, if you click through from the link from Twitter. Or if you uh, send us a mention to at Gridiron or you find myself, Simon or uh, or Ollie Hunter. We will get to you, Ollie, I promise, uh, on there. Uh, we are also going to talk about the Madden-style curse that Gridiron could now be bringing in, thanks to the fact that we featured Trey Lance on our cover just days ago, and he's now done for the season. But Simon wasn't the only one who got a big win for his team this weekend. The Green Bay Packers storming back after that really disappointing performance against the Vikings last week. And Ollie, honestly... In all phases, dominating the Chicago Bears, barring a couple of early drives for Justin Fields, this was uh, as comprehensive a win as I saw this weekend. Oh, actually, no, it's not. Jags, Colts. But anyway, other than that... I thought you were going to actually say uh, the 49ers Seahawks as well. I mean, that was pretty comprehensive. Very comprehensive. (laughs) This game had an air of inevitability about it. It was Aaron Rodgers' Thanos when it comes to the Chicago Bears just clicks his fingers and they disappear. Um, he's so good against them. And the perfect game to have after stinking it up in, in week one is to have a team that you, you have a stake in. Uh, Aaron Rodgers does have a stake in the Chicago Bears. He owns them, in fact. Um, I think that's his 25th win. Um, five defeats over his, his tenure as the Green Bay Packers quarterback. And um, he dealt. He looks really good. The defense suddenly looks really good. Um, uh, kind of um, black and white over, over the two weeks. And I think Aaron Jones looks really, really good. So it, it just shows if if you um, plan properly and you execute what you need to execute, you can you can you can win football games. And that's exactly what Green Bay did. And um, Rogers, he just had. Um, he had the the air of invincibility about him against these uh, Chicago Bears, but let's let's not forget it is against a dreadful, dreadful Chicago Bears football team. Imagine losing to them in Week One. Imagine that. What I thought was disappointing, actually, if you're a Bears fan and if you're looking at offensive coordinator Luke, or if you're looking at offensive coordinator Luke Getzey, is that they only targeted Jair Alexander once in terms of uh, completions because. Uh, you know, Justin Fields' best throw of the night was to Jair Alexander, who I assumed had just become a Bears number one receiver with the way that the, the, ball, the ball just softly landed in his hands. But no, I, it was dire. I mean, I thought it was interesting that they were able to get the run game going with, with Montgomery and with uh, with Khalil Herbert. And, but I, I thought that that fourth down, I, I, you know, to run the ball four times inside the one, but also to, to, to start Fields in the shotgun on fourth down, I just thought was crazy not to, you know, a little bootleg, you know, a little bootleg action using Fields' athletic ability. I just, just made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I just don't understand why you would do that. And I know they were running the ball really well, but down in that area, especially when you're going up against a big Kenny Clark inside and you've got aggressive safeties, you've got aggressive linebackers, you know, Devondre Campbell and, and Key Walker and, and guys like that. I just thought, get get Fields out on the perimeter a little bit. You, you know, throw to Cole Komet. You've got a big tight end. He had a shocker of a day in general, though. Awful. Awful. But, you know, but 
just be a little bit more creative than try and try and run up the gut four times essentially. And and, and yeah, and at that point, the momentum's really beginning to swing back to the Bears. You know, they're down down seven points with a quarter to go. It's a completely different game, but. Yeah, I just didn't understand that. I think at all. the thing is, is that in week one, the 49ers defense put on that kind of performance against the Bears for a half, and then it got very sloppy, very penalty heavy in the second half. There's a question over if this Packers defense is going to step up to that sort of level, but I thought, uh, yeah, Preston Smith and Rashan Gary were both brilliant. Jaron Reed on that stop uh, from that fourth and one where you mentioned he went from the gun. Did anyone read and enjoy, as much as I did at sort of 5 a.m. this morning, Amy Trask? the former Raiders executive, wrote a little poem that she posted on Twitter. But I'd like, I'd like to read to you now. It were, the, the Chicago Bears were in shotgun on the one, and the Packers stopped could them. Could you do it? Could you, could you, before you start, could you do it in the voice of Pam <laughs> I don't think I could. I think that would be oh, a bad what idea. About Pam? I'm just going to do it. Uh, I think it would be an amazing idea. It would be an <laughs> amazing idea. If not Pam. Give, give, me, give me a snippet of Pam and then I'll try and do my best. Hello, my lover. Like, all right. What, what let it, me see. What, where I, is it? I am I'll, good on. I am I'll good on West Country. So let me try. So not, not right. Pam Greer. We'll go Pam Ayers. Okay. When the ball is on the one, don't go using. It's not Jamaica. Girl. <laughs> She's from West. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> when you find the ball on the one, don't go using the shotgun. Don't be dumb. Don't be a nut. Line up under the centre's butt. It don't have to be this hard. Although Elway once lined up at guard. There we go. That was a little poem she wrote at 5 a.m. in the morning. I enjoyed it massively. Yeah, I, I thought the Packers were excellent on the defensive side of the ball. And on offense, you mentioned it. The run game got going. Aaron Jones got going. A.J. Dillon had that bizarre handoff fumble that looked like a miscommunication. I think he was expecting it inside and Rodgers went outside and it just went all over the shop. But everybody, everybody went the same way apart from the quarterback. That was purely on Rodgers, I think. I thought the offensive, the interior of the offensive line played really well. But Josh Nyman held up well at left tackle. Did so all the last season as well against Robert Quinn. You know, just one sack. I, but I thought Josh Myers looked really good, especially on the move. There were a couple of um, couple of Aaron Jones runs where you know Josh Myers was 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, just like a snowplow clearing out of the way. And to to have him fully fit and firing and, and following on from you know that kind of history of JC Tretter and and Lindsley, and now all of a sudden you've got the second round kid at Ohio State. It looks like it, you know could be a real star. I thought that was really uh, impressive. Something well. we're going to get into a little bit during the show, but it's about offensive balance and play calling and coaching and game management and all of that stuff. But it's another thing that happened with the Bears in this game is that they eventually in the second half did hit a little bit of a groove and they did it purely behind the run game. You know, uh, Justin Fields was having a tough day. He made one or two decent throws, but other than that, he had a pretty tough day. Uh, Montgomery gained 122 yards on the night, and 61 of those came up in the fourth quarter, one of them being on that field goal drive. And then they had another drive that ended in the inception. Again, Montgomery was looking really good on. And I just don't understand how these coaches see something working. And I know if you go to it time and time again, you get predictable. It gets too obvious. You see that with the Bengals and running basically the same three plays they've been running since the start of last season. But if somebody is a hot-handed, if somebody is working, I just don't understand why you don't keep going back to them. And yeah, it was a tough, tough night for Chicago. We have had a question, and it's back to the Dolphins. But I knew at the top of the show, Simon would have to have his little, like, I just get that off his chest because I enjoy it thoroughly. But a question has come in from Jordan asking if Tua's throw to Mike Gazicki in the back of the end zone is the best of his career or what? 
No, I don't think it was. I think the best of his career actually came in his rookie season against the Chiefs towards the end of the game, um, which I can put up. A wonderfully specific answer. It is wonderfully specific. But I do think that what it was indicative of, and I think it's very interesting, is that it's a sort of throw that perhaps under, not under Mike McDaniel, he wouldn't have made. It had to be precise. It had to be high. It had to be perfectly positioned. It was threaded in between defenders. He's very good at threading the ball in defenders. But there's, there's almost a time where you look at the, when he's at the top of his drop, where it almost looks like he's going to throw it, and then he decides against it mentally, and then he just does it anyway. And McDaniel came out last week after the win against the Patriots and said, you know, I, I love Tua for... He's so hard on himself. I want him to be less hard on himself and just, you know... Like you talk about a boxer just letting your hands go. It's like Tua, just, you know, just, just relax. Just, you know, hit the top of your drop and just let it go. And um, so I think that was... It was more indicative of coaching than it was of his best throw. I, I do think his best throw, as I said, came as a rookie against... Um, against the Chiefs where he literally threaded the ball into, I think it was Lynn Bowden, between about seven defenders. It was a sort of 30-yard throw over the middle. It was a great, great ball. I don't even think it was his best throw to Kisicki, but um, yeah, he played really well yesterday. Well, my one question is, because I was watching this game on Red Zone while doing a bunch of extra work and stuff uh, on top of that. And so my, my kind of question is, is do you look at the stat line, you look at the performances of Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, I'm sure any fantasy owners had a wonderful day for those two, you see that, you know, Waddle getting 82 yards after the catch, Hill 72 yards after the catch, which often will be put on the receiver. But just how much was it? And maybe you're, uh, you're the wrong person to ask from a biased perspective here. But I believe that you can be completely uh, unbiased on this. How much of that was two are finding the right holes, two are leading them, getting the ball placement bang on? How much of it was a Ravens defense of the secondary, of which we have praised for the most part going into the season, having a bit of a mare? And how much of it was just the individual talent of those two? I think it was a little combination of all three of them, actually. I mean, you know, there were the, the biggest gains of the day, the two deep touchdowns, were essentially, you know, just blowing past Marcus Peters and, and the rookie Tarham on for the first one. Slightly underthrown, but, you know, I mean, it, 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 he was so far wide open. The second one, Complete blown coverage, but he identifies that the ball has to get to him. He's in stride, 50-plus air yards or whatever it was, in stride, touchdown. Well identified the fact that safety rolled over and Jalen Armour Davis is expecting coverage over the back. And then, you know, two of the biggest plays that, that they hit were you know, Jalen Waddle picked up a 60-plus yarder in the first quarter that was a sort of 20-yard dart over the middle behind Patrick Queen, which was a great throw. So it wasn't just kind of little slants and dump-offs and whatever. It was a... It was a good mixture. I think the Ravens ran something like 6,500 yards um, defensively. I think it was calculated. I think it's the most – I can't remember what the exact thing was. I'm sure I read somewhere that it was the most yards run by a defensive unit since 1987 or something like that, which was – you know, so Next-gen action going on. Yeah, that speed is just a killer. You just can't – because you just don't know where it's coming from. It's so hard to defend. You know, they're double – on the game-winning touchdown, they doubled up – well, essentially tripled Tyreek Hill. So Waddle was free on um, on Arthur Davis again for the touchdown. I mean, who do you cover? Pick your boys. And then you've got Mike Kosicki or Cedric Wilson. They, they had a great play call on first down when they got to about the Baltimore 30 as on the final drive. A little delay handoff to Chase Edmonds. He picked up about 25 yards. He was brilliantly blocked as well. Um, so McDaniel just pulled, pulled it all out. Uh, and he's done that for the first two weeks. Uh, it's, it, it was a very impressive showing because Diet and Ollie Connolly, the gridiron editor, highlighted last week. But it's true when you watch the All Twenty Two, there were so many players running wide open in that Dolphin offense last week. That actually, they left you know some touchdowns on the field, um, and, and the same I think in the first half on Sunday. But the second half, it was just 
I mean, that's an exciting unit. If they can keep everybody healthy, that's a, that's a really a, a massive test this weekend against Buffalo. That's a real statement test. It might be the biggest game for the Miami Dolphins in the past decade, I think. Well, Ollie Connolly also said, uh, I think he said it on um, the Gridiron uh, review show uh, that they do just before, Michael and, and Ollie do just before the, the Sunday night game. He said it last night. Uh, Tyreek Hill had 4.6 yards worth of separation, and the league average is something like 2.6. So... It just they've they've got one of the best receivers in the league, one of the fastest, and it, it's the most exactly. And, and when think, right? when he's producing yeah. that kind of separation, it it would all almost be criminal for Tua not to find him in in that amount of space. And and everything just fell into place for Tua yesterday. It was a it was an incredible incredible game because. The Ravens on offense looked really, really good as well. I mean, Lamar looks was great. The Ravens defense is also very good. You know, it wasn't like he just turned up and was playing a bunch of high school kids. Do you know what I mean? I think, you know, I think he deserves it. You know, people are so quick to pile. I've never understood the pylon really, the, the kind of the national pylon. I, I think um, he deserves an awful lot of credit. I just want to talk a little bit about the Bears actually, just briefly. Just go back to Justin Fields because Justin Fields I find in a very interesting situation, much akin to Tua in terms of. You know, last year when you know the Dolphins really struggled, obviously they had Jalen Waddle and Parker and Gasicki, but generally there was no run game. The offensive line was an absolute mess. But you look at you know the Bears. Obviously they've got the run game with Herbert and Montgomery, but behind, but a receiver. You know, Dante Pettis, who you know will obviously was cut by the Forty Niners, a high pick, but never made it. Byron Pringle, who they brought over from from the Chiefs, but you know Ekromanison Brown, who's you know sort of number three, number four sort of plodder guy. They drafted Velas Jones in the third round, which I thought was a, a monstrous mistake. A re- essentially, a return guy at USC, return guy at Tennessee. Turned up to the Senior Bowl where I was there and just watched him in practice, just clanging balls off his hands left, right, and centre. I mean, he dropped so many catches in, in practice at the Senior Bowl. And to see him go in the third round, not using Cole Komet, I just think, you know, how are we judging Justin Fields in terms of his progression and how difficult is it to, to judge him given the, the lack of targets that he's got. It's, a, it's similar to Trevor Lawrence, I think. You know, and Trevor had a great game yesterday, and I will get on to that game. But, you know, it wasn't a great year for Trevor Lawrence last year. It wasn't a great week last year, last week for him. But actually, you look at the number of drops that he's had, and the, and the players certainly last year that he was throwing to, the mistakes that were made, the penalties, the, the drop catches, the fun, all of those things, were so quick to jump on the, you know, this guy's a bust, this guy's terrible, this guy's awful. You know, people forget about, you know, Josh Allen's top, Two, three quarterback in the season. People forget about the first two years of Josh Allen. Do you know what I mean? When you know, because that was a that was an adventure throwing the ball down the field with Josh Allen those first couple of years. So uh, I'm intrigued, especially with you, Ollie, given that he plays in the division with the team that you you follow. How how what the consensus is from you on? on what I, th- about I think it's very difficult to analyze him when he's only throwing the ball. Nine times yesterday, eleven times, eleven in, times in the end. Okay, the so end. it's really difficult. So is that indicative, though? Is that indicative of coaching, not trusting him, or is that indicative of a lack of talent and therefore playing to their strengths? I would say it's game? the former. I think the coaching situation in Chicago hasn't been right for years. Um, and you know, I, I know that uh, Matthew Sherry and Ollie Connolly have been saying that the coaching situations across the league isn't, isn't particularly good at the moment. Um, and I think it's a case of this coaching team are not trusting him to to put the ball where it needs to be. And maybe they're looking at their, their receiving options and, and things aren't working out in practice how they, they like and that they're they're leaning on 
their run game, and the run game's great. I mean, David Montgomery had a brilliant game yesterday. So um, I would say more of the former. But as a as a Packers fan looking at the Bears, it, it's just more of the same. You just don't worry. I don't worry about playing the Chicago Bears, which if you're a Bears fan, I, I, I should imagine that infuriates you. Well, look, there might be a similar situation developing in the NFC West right now because the Seattle Seahawks look like a team that you shouldn't necessarily be worrying about playing week in, week out for this season alone. I had one tweet come in last night while we were kind of going back and forth on the game and and one Seahawks fan who essentially said, our Super Bowl going up against Russ was last week. Is it really bad if I'm not that bothered about basically not tanking but not doing well the rest of the season and getting one of those three top quarterbacks who are you know, likely to go in the top five to ten picks. Uh, let's be honest for next season. Um, we'll get on to the Trey Lance point and the Jimmy Garoppolo point, but just to start off with on this game, I thought that the 49ers defense was absolutely sensational. Uh, Talanoa Hafunga, we talked about last week, shined once again, was all over the field, just a real ball hawk, six tackles with a tackle for loss, two passes defensed, including the, the tip that led to the interception. Uh, Nick Bosa was absolutely ridiculous, two sacks on the day, and it was probably one of his best games for San Francisco from an individual perspective. And I think there's a separate conversation about what the Seahawks look like on offense and how much it's about. They had a really good first half against Denver, but that Denver defense is very talented. In the second half, they showed up and looked really good. You saw the same again, I thought, from the 49ers yesterday, a really talented defense. So I'd be interested to know what they do going up against a defense which is arguably going to be a top five, at least maybe top ten unit in the league, which these two are. But their run game was dreadful yesterday. Geno Smith wasn't necessarily terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but Rashad Penny, six six carries, 15 yards. Kenneth Walker, four for ten. Travis Homer, two for nine. It's just not what you necessarily expect from a Pete Carroll side. You combine that with the errors on the uh, yeah, the muff punt. You combine that with the errors on special teams. You combine that with game management and timing errors, which we saw during their game yesterday as well. And actually, the 49ers pitched a shutout barring the blocked field goal, which was just a really sensational play from the young man and maybe a little bit of going to sleep from Ross Dwelly's part, who I thought had a really good game, recovered the muff punt, had a touchdown, looked really good overall, but did make the failure in that situation. So if you just take the all the non-storylines from the game, I think it was a really good get-right get right game for the 49ers. They look fantastic on defense and special teams, and the Seahawks don't look like a very good football team. But there is the Trey Lance issue. There is the fact that he is done for the season. A broken ankle, ankle surgery happening today. He is done for the year. There is the question mark over whether you should be running your quarterback up the gut like that. A guy who is a, a good runner and a physical guy. I think people look at Trey Lance and maybe don't realize his physicality. But you know, I think he's only an inch and a half shorter than Cam Newton and about 10 pounds lighter than he is. Like People see Cam Newton and they see this absolute beast of a human being. And I'm not sure Trey Lance is considered to be in that same way. I think he has got the ability to run up the gut. I think there was a, a really unlucky play overall. But Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, and this is where I pitch the question to you two. An up and down game from him. few good plays, particularly for the, the Dwelly touchdown. But Matt Sherry seems absolutely convinced that this turns the 49ers into a, a, a Super Bowl-worthy conversation, whereas previously they weren't. And I actually think because of everything I said about the defense and the special teams, if you'd given Trey Lance eight, nine, ten games, 
and they've gone seven and three in that time, which I think is very feasible with their schedule. I don't think that's going to be any different with Jimmy Garoppolo. I really don't think that the aspirations should be changing or should be any different necessarily. Am I wrong? Am I totally nuts on that? Is that me being completely fan blind, just not? No, I think um, I think that privately, and they've never admitted it, I think privately within the walls of the 49ers, they would say that they have a significantly better chance of making it to the Super Bowl with Garoppolo than they do with Trey Lance. Because like we've talked about this before, 290 passes in his college career, and then you're expecting him to go in and run a fairly complex um, you know, Mike Shanahan, Carl Shanahan, Mike McDaniel offense. You know, that's that's a hard thing to do. You know, you look at the problems that, you know, we've talked about them too, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, all the, you know, you look at the issues these young quarterbacks have had, you know, how long it's taken. You know, you, the, you know there's a few mutants in this league, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, you know, Herbert threw his fourth pick six in 13 games in uh, the other day, as great as he is, and he is. You know, Josh Allen, we just talked about, took him two years. Trevor Lawrence, we're still not seeing close to the best of him, too, are we? You know, that was the first game where yesterday where potentially the whole narrative began to change about him. I, I just think this makes San Francisco a more complete team. It, it, I think that the, the peaks will be less, but I also think the troughs will be less. I think you'll get a much more sort of median midline um, with the Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense. You know, that Elijah that, that median midline has existed previously, and yes, it's got them to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game, but also it's been the reason for failure in those situations. It's been that the lack of elevated play has been the problem time and time again. And actually, give me a good run game and a quarterback with the upside that Trey Lance has over a guy who I don't think he's going to do it in the big moment. What if you get what if you get to, to, to Lambeau Field or to, to SoFi and you get into a, a shootout with Matt Stafford or Aaron Rodgers? The, Trey Lance currently, I don't think, is that guy. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is that guy, but he's more of that guy. And you just said... We got to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game. It, you know, for the last three seasons. Again, off defense, off run game. Not sure. like but the offense Garoppolo still has, has to play when they, the offense still has to play when they get on the field. Over the last three years, you were one one and a half yards of an overthrow away from winning a Super Bowl, and you got to an NFC title game, having beaten the number one seed on the road in Green Bay. Now, a quarterback wins is the most ludicrous statistic of all in the NFL. But let's not pretend that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play a significant hand in you being in two NFC championships in three years, including a Super Bowl. I just think that Trey Lance is not yet ready to be in a situation where he can go toe-to-toe with the biggest quarterbacks in this league. At the moment, that's just not him. And I think that would have held the 49ers back. I think this legitimately gives you a better chance. I would be, And as, uh, as somebody who owns your first-round pick for next year, for example, I've all of a sudden thought, you know, here's a team that could get to the playoffs, but it's also a team that could end up losing, you know, winning six games, now all of a sudden I'm thinking, right, we're going to be picking in the 20s, mid to late 20s, especially given the kind of overall weakness in the NFC. I, I feel, the, my, my problem with it is, is that we're, a lot of people are judging Trey Lance off five quarters of football, in which it was really four quarters and one drive, and in one of those games it was an absolute monsoon in horrendous conditions on the road. I, last season is last season. It wasn't an offense designed for him. Shanahan didn't make the adjustments to make it designed for him, even in his starts. He had for all reports, a much better off-season this year. I'd much rather have seen him develop in a very, very good team. It comes back to that thing of bringing in any rookie quarterback. Would you rather that they do... The likelihood of your picking at number one overall is you're going to be developing on a bad football team. And that can really hinder some people. Trey Lance given the opportunity to develop and learn on a team who are going to win games if he makes mistakes gives him the opportunity to actually develop and learn. 
And the thing is, I go back to the, I mean, the Garoppolo throw. Not that we need to dissect a throw that happened in a Super Bowl three years ago, but everyone always goes, eh, a yard and a half overthrow away from, from winning a Super Bowl. He was a missed throw to George Kittle over the middle, which was the most easy, obvious read and a wide-open guy from winning a Super Bowl, and instead took the deep shot looking for the glory. That was my bigger problem with that play and always has been. I just don't see the guy as a guy that sees the field very well, and that is always my concern against good defences, like the ones we've been but talking about. You can win a Super Bowl with him. You can win I think, we can, can win I, I think, I think if you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, you can Depend, win a Super I don't Bowl think, with Trey Lance. I, just, yeah, I genuinely I think, believe I that. You get year. to a Super Bowl with Trey Lance this year. That's the, that's the, that's the big one. Um, you're, you're rolling with a guy. In the <laughs> NFC, probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to be honest, this year. But, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it's far, I, I totally get what people, when people say it's far more likely with a, a, an experienced guy under centre who learned from the best uh, ever. Um, you've got more of a chance, especially with the defense that you've got this year, especially, um, than a, 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 a complete unproven guy. Regardless of, oh, he played, he had a good preseason or, or he practiced well, the reports are. Um, I just think you've got a better chance of getting there with Jimmy, and then once you're there, anything can happen. I go back, go back and look, Will. I mean, if you take. And I've just done the calculation here, right? Justin Herbert threw 1,273 passes in college. Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech threw 1,349. Trevor Lawrence threw 1,138. Yeah, we're expecting Trey Lance, who threw 219 passes since high school, to come in. And I, I just don't see that, especially when he played at a mid-major level, you know, in a run-first offense. I believe. I, I'm not sure I still believe. I think this, sadly, I don't think, I, 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 but I think that, that long term is now much more in jeopardy because it's going to be three years since he played significant football by the time he plays again next year, coming off an injury, which is the kind of injury that we've seen good starting quarterbacks struggle to come back from the season immediately afterwards. And the problem then comes up, if they do do something ridiculous this season and go on a run and win an NFC Championship game, win a Super Bowl, whatever that might be, because they have the defense and, and the other units in order to do that, then suddenly you're having to pay Jimmy Garoppolo, consider him the starter. Maybe you end up trading Trey Lance away. Like it becomes, the whole thing becomes, well, that move ended up being a waste and we've actually got the, the injury as an excuse for why it didn't work out when actually maybe they need to be looking internally at it. I, we, we could, other GMs around the NFC will look at what happened to Trey yesterday and think this is bad for us to get in terms of getting to the Super Bowl because Jimmy gives them a better chance to win. I just don't see how a guy who played at a mid-major in a run-first offense throwing 290 balls is all of a sudden going to come in and go toe-to-toe in a 35-35 game with Aaron Rodgers where you're expecting him to drop back 50 times and just ping it around the field. That, that to me, uh, just makes no sense. Uh, Carlos Ortega gets in touch on the StreamYard comments, and it's his uh, beautiful timing, because this is what I wanted to move on to, and then we'll just finish off with any final thoughts for the day. He says, Joe Burrow taking a beating to begin the season. That O-line is killing him. And listen, it's an O-line, which all those Bengals fans who got angry that we all picked the Ravens in our uh, preseason picks told us was revamped this season. Again and again, and I don't want to go into O-line specifics, but again and again, when we talk about this, the best way to rebuild an O-line is to develop the talent you have with good coaching. It's proven time and time again. Seattle threw picks and threw draft picks and trades and everything in an O-line, and it never got right. 
And that's now what it looks like the Bengals are suddenly doing. They have been atrocious through the first two games. But it brings me on to a wider point. They go on to lose that game despite dominating the Cowboys in the second half, 20-17. to 17. And between that, between Cliff Kingsbury somehow just fluking his way to a victory in Las Vegas, but over another head coach who has some serious question marks over his long-term ability, between... Uh, well, what other examples did we have from this weekend? We had I've I've done I've done Cliff and Zach. <laughs> there was some other bad coaches going. I mean, Pete Carroll had a bad one. Nathaniel Hackett had a shocker again after back to back weeks to start off his career. I mean, the fans counting down the play clock is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. Ever. <laughs> the fans counting down the play clock, taking your third time out when you're winning a game with eight and a half minutes remaining in the game. Yeah. There was that great tweet from Seth Wickersham last night where he just tweeted something along the lines of uh, the fact that Matt LaFleur deserves more praise as a head coach just because he managed to get the offense to actually snap the ball while Nathaniel Hackett was his offensive coordinator. Like, just the level of coaching overall in this league, and that's before you get to the frauds that we already know exist, like the Mike McCarthy's of this world, that, that floor, that low bar, that ridiculously poor level of basic game management of basic coaching fundamentals and yeah some of them are new in the league some of them are having their first two games as a head coach but employ someone who has some experience who knows what on earth they're doing if that's going to be a problem for you and i just can't get over ollie how ridiculously poor the coaching it's was been in the nfl so shoddy hasn't it it's like it's like the the um the lights of go on and the, and the game starts and suddenly all of these coaches and everyone around them have brain freezes where they can't they can't do the basic fundamentals of reading a game clock management basic play calling in the in the right situations it's just i, I can't get my head around it it's so weird and and, and and by the way there's some guys that i think people rate who also needs to be thrown into this conversation for yesterday, Kevin Stefanski giving up a 17-point lead against the Jets inside the two-minute warning. First time that's happened since 2001. Uh, the Panthers, Matt Rule, throwing that game away, a game they absolutely should have won. There, it's just some astonishingly poor coach. Frank Reich running the best running back in the oh, NFL five oh. times in the first half. After giving it to him 31 times for 171 yards last week, gave it to him nine times in the entire game. I think, I think even last week... Aaron Jones had nine touches of the ball for Green Bay, and Matt Lafleur just forgot about him. Said said after the game, oh, I, 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 I just didn't think about it." So, it, what's going on? <laughs> there was this amazing piece on the NFL Network's game day morning yesterday, where they did an interview with Hackett and Wilson, and they were talking about can the coach dance and is he this? It's like, dude, don't worry about your dance moves, fella. Just just get the plays called in time. Just understand how the clock works. It's fascinating. I mean, you make the point about, and for Bengals fans or for, for Cardinals fans, we're really not picking on you know, Zach Taylor and, and Cliff Kingsbury because... No, no, no. We yeah. are picking on them. We're just we not are, picking on their franchises. I like the Bengals. I think I love Joe Burrow. I like a lot of their players. Um, you know, I just I, I just don't think Zach Taylor's up to it. Kingsbury, similarly. I mean, the play in which, I think, 20.98 seconds Kyler Murray had on that two... Uh, on that uh, two-point play at the end. But the Bengals' offensive line, the, the point that he made at, at the top, I, I, is just, I mean, it's just startling. You know, he was sacked 51 times last season, which was, you know, and he was sacked, I, I don't know what it was, 67 the first season, and obviously tore his ACL 
he's on pace to be sacked 111 times already, which I, I find remarkable. But there, and there is a but, there is a caveat to it. I don't think Joe Burrow is playing very well overall. And I think he's almost acting as a little bit of an agent of chaos in his own pocket. His pocket presence usually is outstanding. He's just not playing at a particularly high level. He's coming off the median in terms of where he's, you know, when he drops back to throw it, he's, for some reason, moving off that centre point when he doesn't need to. And I think it's almost putting himself in a position where it's more easy for him to be sacked. So whilst the offensive line has been woeful, I don't think Joe Burrow is beyond blame in that situation. But for the Bengals, 0-2 start. I mean, the Jets next week that they have, I mean, that's a, um, that's a massive game for them against, you know... It, it, I mean, who would have thought the Bengals against the Jets would be a massive game? The reason I, I keep coming back to Zach Taylor and, and the, the coaching in general is because it's also an offensive scheming thing. Like, they have looked as predictable on offense the last two weeks as, as anyone in the NFL and basically don't appear to have had a single wrinkle to their playbook since last season. Uh, Ollie was really good on this last week, Ollie Connolly, uh, discussing the kind of the way that they set up, the way they ran that outside. And the way that when he was under centre, I think it was 18 out of 19 snaps he was under centre, they basically ran the same run play. And like, I mean, if you don't need to have guys like Micah Parsons on the other side of the ball in order to shut you down and get tackles for loss and get to your quarterback. If you're doing the exact same and very obvious thing every single time, you have the ball in your hands. I'm with you about Joe Burrow. He didn't have a good game and hasn't had a good start to the season. Inauspicious, to say the least. One, one thing I think is really interesting... He's not in a position to win right now. No, I don't know what you think, Ollie, but last year the Bengals knew their offensive line was bad, but they threw it downfield anyway, right? This year, they expected it to be better, and they've almost like stopped throwing it down the field. I, I don't really understand. You know, think of the chances they took downfield last year to chase and to... You know, Jamar Chase has been fairly anonymous this season. It felt like last year, every single... Every single week, there was like a 60-plus-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase. I just don't understand why well, it's not happening. Well, the longest uh, receiving play or the longest play yesterday was 19 yards. So they're not they're not going downfield, are they? That was a 19-yard um, throwing catch to T. Higgins. So they're not... T. Higgins, I was going to say, he was their and best player the, by country. They're not Mario stretching the field. Way. I don't know whether... And it would be on Ollie Connolly to, to work this out for us, but I don't know whether defences are dropping deeper so it's more difficult to get over the top because they've worked out that Burrow does have that big arm. But as you've said as well, Simon, he's one, he's not really getting the time back there to throw the ball. He's running into trouble. He's not His pocket awareness isn't great anymore. Uh, well, these first two games. So he's not even being able to, to unload to players that aren't down the field in any case. Are the, also, are the plays actually there? Are they are they drawing up plays to get, get these players downfield? Or are they just trying to... And the last two games, they've been really slow out of the blocks. Really slow. Are they just trying to work their way back into the games with shorter dink and dunk, shorter slant plays, etc.? Or is it a case of that their playbook has just been they they don't know what they're doing they don't know how to get these longer plays anymore because defenses are, are, have worked them out. I think that there was a there was a, a stat regarding Joe Burrow's thirteen sacks he's taken in two games. The last quarterback to take 30, to take ten or more sacks in his opening two games and end up playing more than ten games that season was David Carr twice in 2002 and 2005. And what's the book on David Carr? 
incredibly talented quarterback, arguably more talented than his brother, but put in a horrible situation, hit so many times, he just ended up, his body wasn't able to take it on a very poor team, and he ends up out of the league within five or six years. I don't want that to happen to Joe Burrow. I think he's a brilliant player, and I don't think it will happen to Joe Burrow, but they but need to figure it out. But it's not just the, the sacks, out. is it? It's also the QB hits. I mean, he's, he's taken a battering when he can get the ball out. Um, so this offensive line and the offensive line coaches have, have got a lot to answer for because Burrow, you're right, he cannot continue to take this battering. Remember when we did the show right. live in New Orleans or sat in a bar all together? Wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> it more of those, by the way. That needs to happen again. That absolutely needs to happen again. Um, we're going to round things off by just taking... I, I'm going to ask each of you for like your your one kind of thing you took from maybe a game we haven't talked about, or maybe one we have talked about and haven't had a chance to to praise a performance, uh, something that you spotted. Um, I want to talk about the Detroit Lions briefly, who both sides of the ball I thought were excellent against Washington, despite letting them back into the game late on. Ben Johnson is calling a much more wide-open scheme there, it looks like. And a, Superstar yeah. in the making, Ben Johnson. Yeah, it, I, it, it would appear so based on what I've seen through two weeks. I may be overstating that, but the run games look great. The offensive lines look great. They've made it easy for Jared Goff, which as we know from the Rams, when you do make it easy for Jared Goff, he's a guy who, which I talked about Jimmy Garoppolo earlier, can take you to a Super Bowl if everything around him is right. Um, and I'm really excited to see Jameson Williams come back as well when he eventually comes back and slot into that scheme. But the star-making performance was the other side of the ball where Aiden Hutchinson three sacks in the first half as they rushed out to a 22 and to nothing lead. And he was just astonishingly good on the day, bending the edge, uh, stunt plays. And just every time that he put any amount of pressure, he could be double teamed. He could even be triple teamed. And he seemed to be breaking through. And I just, we knew he was good, but watching him be really good in the NFL is different to knowing that. And especially for that team as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With not a huge amount of talent necessarily around him. Also, there was a guy who started at guard for the, the Lions yesterday, and they tweeted a video of him today, who's been in the league for seven years and been on like 12 different practice squads and finally at the age of 27 got his first ever start and had a really good game yesterday. And it was just one of those really great NFL stories that you get that where the, the guy really just deserves getting a little bit of praise, getting a little bit of love for sticking it out, having to fly around the country, having to go through all of that for years and years. So I say to the man whose name I'm trying to remember right now, as you could tell, Dan Skipper, that was it. Dan yeah. Skipper, who yeah. started at Left Guard yesterday. It was a, it's an amazing Love video it. or Love moment in, in, in that locker room video. Uh, I implore you to watch it and not, not oh. feel a, 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 a bit of emotion. Well it, was, uh, it was lovely. It was really lovely. Uh, I'll come to you, Simon Clancy. What was the thing? Yeah, I mean, just in the games that just bounce around really quickly, I thought Mac Jones was much better than he was last week in the Patriots win. I, you know, how how much have we trod all over Daniel Jones? But you know, Daniel Jones is two and zero, so kudos to 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 Brian Dable and Jones for working things through. And his third down conversion to to essentially run the clock out was terrific. Um, Devin Lloyd, the linebacker, rookie linebacker, had two picks of Matt Ryan, who looked absolutely woeful in that in that uh, Colts. Shut out, um, Jamel Dean, the corner of the Buccaneers in the in the, in the big win over the Saints, and how bad does James Winston look? By the way, um, Amon Rasay Brown, 
in the Lions game. I think I said it's the tenth game running that he's had eight plus catches. I mean, fourth round pick at USC. I, I thought he was a stud in college. He's been an absolute stud. Isn't NFL. it like him, Michael Thomas? Like it's, there's this list yeah, of about three, three. guys. Michael Thomas that. and God, I can't think of the third one is, but it's somebody really, really good. I'm going to look like it up while you keep talking. And the other, the other, just very briefly, the other one is like. When Sean McVay woke up this morning, at what point do you think, holy hell, this is not what I expected it to be? The, the Super Bowl hangover for both teams is feels like it's pretty real for the first two weeks. Yeah, it, they, they, um, they weren't good yesterday. And, and allowing a talent-poor Falcons team to come back into it the way that they did um, is, I, I would say, really, really worrying. Uh, the, it looked like they made a point of getting Alan Robinson the first touchdown, and it was good to see the former Penn State guy get on the board. but. Um, the run game doesn't look great at all. Um, was figured out pretty quickly, and it needed um, Jalen Ramsey to to step up at the very last to kind of ice the game, uh, save for the safety. But yeah, the 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 Rams look totally off color. I, I can totally see why you forgot who the third man was, by the way, because it was the entirely unforgettable, uh, definitely not had in any way an interesting career, Antonio Brown. Oh, yes. uh, Ollie Hunter, <laughs> uh, was there any final thought that you had yeah, for I mean, this week? Some of the positive stuff that uh, Simon has gone with, I'll go for some negative stuff. That seems more... more <laughs> That's how it's we always love to bag. end these Mitch, things. Uh, Mike Tomlin must be thinking... All ruining the fact that he backed Mitch Trubisky to be playing seventeen games because, um, I mean it's it's not it's not new, but he's a dreadful quarterback. He 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 flusters after he, his first option is is taken uh, when he's trying to throw the ball. Um, the playbook is is probably written on the back of a, of a, a fag packet. Um, for, for Mitch Trisky. He is a chase-down king this just, season, it feels I mean, like. and they've got some really talented receivers, um, and, and the running back's decent as well, Najee Harris, but that offense with him in charge is just dreadful, and I can't imagine uh, too many more performances like the one yesterday and in week one before we start to see the, the, the pit guy, uh, Kenny Pickett. So, um, yeah, I... I, I the chant, the chant started yesterday. They started chanting there for him in the go. second half. And I thought... I thought um, uh, it was a win for football and for the New York Jets to beat the Cleveland Browns. This, if you've been across social media, you may see some of the Brown, Browns fans being um, uh, not particularly great um, human beings. Um, so it was great to see the, the New York Jets. Um, yeah, Burn yeah, I'm, I, I, I think you know they're dead to me. That franchise, it, 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 and it's amazing. That each year we end up having a franchise that we that, that are dead to us, but that one one hundred percent is dead to me. And uh, yeah, no, that's it. And and even and even Liz uh, Truss is a fan. Yeah. So yeah, I mean enough for getting there right burn, now to burn it all, burn it all down. Uh, this has been the live edition of the show uh, for the Monday show, but of course you can uh, listen back on your podcast platforms. Maybe you're doing exactly that uh, wherever you're subscribed. So please do give us a rating and a review 
uh, in those weird systems. It does help bump people up and make sure that more people do find the show. Uh, and if you want to fire in questions at Gridiron on Twitter, you can find myself, Simon, and Ollie all on there as well with relative ease. So you can drop any of us a line if there's anything you want to see covered. Uh, we'll be all across the radio coverage on Sundays. We'll be all across these shows uh, on Mondays as well. So get in touch and love interacting with you guys unless you are angry Bengals fans baying for our blood. In which case, only Simon likes to communicate yeah, I'll speak with to you. Next and the two haters get in touch with Simon. <laughs> ah, another absolute classic. Otherwise, thank you for watching. Thank you so much for listening. It's been the Gridiron Show. 